Welcome back to the Homestyle MMA Podcast. Sean Van Buren here for episode 20. Thank you to everyone who has followed along through 20 episodes of the podcast. This has been an incredible journey. I've had a lot of fun doing this analysis for my listeners and for myself, truthfully, and diving into some fights. I think we've had a great time together. Here's to 20 more. And shout out to all the listeners or homies checking this out right now. I appreciate all of you. So today we're going to be talking about UFC Fight Night Dern versus Yan. Last week we played matchmaker for the lighter fighters up to 145, and this week we'll be rounding out the rest of the UFC before diving into that card. So let's start with the temporary new segment, Matchmaking the Heavy Hitters. Let's go. Before we get too far into the matchmaking segment on today's episode of the podcast, I encourage you to go to the UFC rankings website to help you follow along as we dive into the current rankings and how I think folks could match up. I'll let you know where each fighter is currently ranked, but I do feel like the visual of looking at them in order 1 through 15 might help some of our listeners out. So feel free to Google UFC rankings. You'll find it very easily, the full 1 through 15 for each weight class. So like I said, we finished off with the 145 featherweight division in episode 19. Feel free to go check that one out for us. And we're going to start off with the lightweight division 155. Former champion, or some would say still the champion, number one Charles Oliveira is facing number four Islam Makachev at UFC 280 in what is a highly anticipated fight where people are wondering if Khabib Nurmagomedov's pupil Islam Makachev is about to start a reign in the UFC. Can't wait to break that one down for you. That will definitely be an intriguing fight. Because also on that same card, we have number 6, Benil Dariush, versus number 9, Mateus Gamrot. UFC 281 also has a massive lightweight matchup as well, with number 2, Dustin Poirier, who lost to Charles Oliveira his last time out, which ended his three-fight win streak, versus number 5, Michael Chandler, who had a viral head-kick knockout win his last time out. Next in line for a championship fight is the winner of Poirier versus Chandler. I think for the fans, you make a main event of number three, Justin Gaethje, who lost to Charles Oliveira his last time out as well, versus number seven, Rafael Fazayev, who's currently on a three-fight win streak for early 2023. Two excellent strikers brawling it out. Fans will love that most definitely. Then I think you match up the winner of that fight with the winner of Darush versus Gamrot for potentially the next title challenger. That takes us to the welterweight division. The only high-ranked welterweight fight that we have lined up right now is number 5, Bilal Muhammad, who has not lost in his last 8 fights, versus 15-0, and 0, number 8-ranked Sean Brady. I'm not usually a fan of immediate rematches with title fights, but because the champion Leon Edwards was less than a minute away from losing to former champion and number 1-ranked Kamaru Usman before landing that absolutely viral, incredible head kick, I think we need to run that one back as soon as possible. Then give the fans another fight that we are begging for with number two, Colby Covington, who won his last fight versus 12-0 number three ranked Kamzat Chemaev for next in line to challenge for the belt. Hopefully Chemaev can make the weight. One thing to keep an eye on for as well is Chemaev has mentioned a move to middleweight and has asked still for Colby Covington, so possibly we'll see both of them instead at welterweight, one division up at middleweight. We'll touch on that in a second. 
The other two fights I would focus on in this welterweight division is number four ranked Gilbert Burns, who lost a tough fight with Chemaev with number six ranked Jeff Neal on a two-fight win streak. The last one is a super long shot, but I think Conor McGregor comes back at welterweight if he comes back at all. Let's just go ahead and put that out there. I think there's a very strong chance he does not return to the octagon, but if he does, he wants only championship fights. But he needs to get a win in this division first, in my opinion. Frankly, he has not won in a long time. So for stylistic matchups, what I think could be really interesting is put him in there against number 7 ranked Steven Thompson, or the larger money fight potentially with number 9 Jorge Masvidal. Both of them prefer to strike as well, which is who Connor needs to face at this point in his career. Jorge's kind of on the downturn of his career as well, so it'd be a more even matchup for Conor McGregor. But we have a lot of fights to make at welterweight, with currently only one on the books. In the middleweight division, UFC 281 is headlined by champion Israel Adesanya versus number four ranked Alex Pereira, former world kickboxing foes, facing yet again, but this time in the octagon. That's going to be a fantastic fight. Number one ranked Robert Whitaker just beat number three Marvin Vittori and number two Jared Cannonier recently. So I'd match him up with maybe number five ranked Derek Brunson, who he hasn't faced since 2016. If Robert Whitaker wins, he challenges for the title next. If Brunson wins, he should probably face the loser of Adesanya versus Pereira down the line. Number two Jared Cannonier lost to the champ in his last fight in Vittori lost to Whitaker in his last fight, so I think the most sense would be to match them up and probably give that winner next in line for the title shot either behind Whitaker if he wins, or maybe even before Whitaker if Brunson wins that fight. Looking further down the rankings as well, I would go number 6 Paolo Costa versus number 7 Sean Strickland, and number 8 Jack Hermanson versus number 9 Darren Till to keep things simple. It's worth noting, like I said, that Kamzat Chmaev has alluded to moving up to middleweight on social media. He wants to fight there next. He has called out Colby Covington. I think another potential fight to make in that division is number six ranked Paulo Costa because they already have some bad blood. We'll see what the UFC wants to line up in that division. Heading over to the light heavyweights, lots of fights to be made in this division as well. The only things booked are number eight ranked Volkan Uzdemir versus number 10 Nikita Krylov on the UFC 280 prelims, and number seven Dominic Reyes making a return to the octagon after taking a significant amount of time off versus number 12 ranked Ryan Spann on UFC 281. Champion Jiri Prochazka already publicly said that he would offer a rematch to former champion number one ranked Glover Teixeira, much to the dismay of number two Jan Blakovic. I don't hate this move because we all know that Glover is retiring soon, and then he's just going to be out of the way in the division. He's already said he wants one or two more fights. I think depending on how that next fight goes, he might just call it a, a fantastic career. Let's get that fight booked early for 2023 or the end of the year if possible, because I think that Jan Blahovic can just wait for next in line. I don't think he needs to do anything. Now, while Jan waits for next as the former champ himself, I would go ahead and set up the next title challenger with number three Magomed Ankolaev with his nine UFC fight win streak and number four ranked Alexander Rakic who lost in his last fight out to Blachowicz when he blew out his knee. That winner should fight for next after Jan. Let's also see number 5 Anthony Smith versus number 6 Jamal Hill, who's on a three-fight knockout win streak. All of those fights are great and exciting fights, but again, we got to get to work. I don't know what the UFC is doing, but in these heavier weight classes, we just don't have much planned right now. 
and that is no more obvious than when you look at this heavyweight division. We currently have no high-ranked fights lined up for the heavyweights right now, and it is a shame because there are so many fights to make. The biggest wrinkle here is John Jones. John Jones theoretically is making his heavyweight debut. It's looming. It's causing chaos, I think. And we need to get some fights booked. Nagani wants more money. There's just so much happening in the heavyweight division. And don't get me wrong. I think Nagano's got a point that these fighters should be making more money. But at the same time, he's kind of holding up the division, which I really didn't expect from him. Look, Dana, UFC, everybody, Sean Shelby, let's go make the big money fight. It will sell so many pay-per-views. Put the current champion, Francis Nagano, versus newcomer, former greatest light heavyweight of all time, John Jones. I know they're trying to match up John Jones with Stipe Miocic. They're trying to line up Francis Naganu with anybody. Let's just let's just cut the middle ground here. John Jones versus Francis Naganu sells incredibly well. Maybe up there in top five for the most pay-per-view buys of all time, in my opinion, because of how scary Francis Naganu is and because of the skill of John Jones. They both want that fight. While we're doing that, let's make another fight that will make all parties happy and do number one Cyril Gaon against number two Stipe Miocic. Both former heavyweight title holders who just really want to strike. Let's do it. Both fast, both elite with their kickboxing. I mean, think about that matchup. That would be absolutely incredible to watch. The martial arts going on in that fight would just be outstanding, particularly in the striking. Here's the bummer. I love the guy. I think he's very nice. But number three, Curtis Blades, just continues to get screwed. And that just royally sucks. He's just on the outside looking in at all times with matchmaking. He wins over and over and over again. He gets one loss, and apparently it sets him back dramatically. I don't know. I don't know why. It's not very fair. But again, we're clogged at the top because the champ's sitting tight. John Jones trying to get him back. Stipe takes a long time to bring him back into the fold. We need to make some fights happen. I think if we can book those previously mentioned fights quickly, like early 2023, then Curtis Blades should just wait for the loser of the championship fight, Naganu versus Jones, or the loser of Gan versus Miocic. If he then won that fight against any of those four people, if he wins against Naganu, Jones, Cyril Gan, or Stipe Miocic, he would undeniably be next in line for a title shot. The last fight that I would like to see is number four, Tai Tuivasa versus number five, Sergei Pavlovich. Tai lost to number one ranked Cyril Gaon that ended his five-fight knockout winning streak, and Sergei Pavlovich is currently on a four-fight knockout win streak. Look at these stylistic matchups I'm putting in front of you. Put these super heavy hitters in a cage together, lock the door, and see who's able to walk out with consciousness. Someone's going to sleep. That would be very exciting. It's a great fight for the fans. The heavyweight division is a travesty. There are so many fights to make that are in the top five. Everyone I mentioned to you is the top five heavyweight, except for John Jones entering in for the first time. And stylistically, they are beautiful matchups. They're so exciting. Cyril Gaon versus Stipe Miocic. I mean, that fight alone, fantastic. Taitui Vasa, Sergei Pavlovich. Baddest man on the planet currently, Francis Ngannou versus one of the greatest UFC fighters of all time, John Jones. Let's do this, UFC. 
tired of sitting tight, tired of waiting around with all this money that needs to happen, whatever. Pay these guys for these fights, and I promise the fans will reward you. These fights would get purchased. You could put all of those fights, all of those, on pay-per-views. Championship fight costs would obviously be a headliner. You could put one of these other heavyweight matchups as a co-main event on a pay-per-view for a belt that might not get as much love. They've already talked about putting together the flyweight title fight in January, where we're going to have Brandon Moreno and Figueredo going at it for the fourth time. That spot, end of January, co-main event should be one of these heavyweight matchups. Not the championship fight, but give me one of these matchups. Give me Tuivasa or Pavlovich. Give me Cyril Gaon, Stipe Miocic. Maybe give me Blades versus Miocic. I'm not as interested in that one right now, but put a fight on that card as the co-main event. Let's start building some momentum. Let's start booking some fights for these heavy, heavy hitters. All those fights are great fights. They'd sell. They'd make the fans happy. What more do you want? All right, that wraps up our matchmaking, the heavy hitter segment. Let's look forward to Saturday's UFC matchups. Prelims are going to start off at 4 o'clock Eastern time on Saturday. We have Guido Canetti versus Randy Costa. Costa has advantages of 3 inches in height and 5 inches in reach. Costa is almost exclusively a striker. And unfortunately, that has not gone well for him with two knockout losses in his last two fights. Costa is a very high-volume striker, but his defense really just needs some work. And his attack is fairly singular if you will it's mostly attacks with punches he doesn't use a ton of kicks all that said i do think this is a very decent matchup for him because he is 14 years younger than 42 year old kennedy kennedy has only been in three fights since the start of 2020 and has one win in that span kennedy may go for a few takedowns but he generally strikes as well and he uses a very heavy leg kick attack i'm talking extremely heavy Kennedy landed 32 out of 33 low leg kicks in his last three-round fight. Costa will have to check those kicks if he wants to be able to stand for potentially three rounds. Both fighters haven't won a lot lately, and I'm going with youth in this one. Costa has to defend those kicks, but I think he can get the nod here. I have trouble betting, in general, any fighter over 40 who isn't at least ranked near the top of the division. With 22 of their combined 25 total fights ending by finish, you could probably also take a look at the fights and not go the distance as well. Julija Storyalenko versus Chelsea Chandler. UFC debut for Chelsea Chandler on a four-fight Invicta FC win streak. In those four wins, her opponents are a combined 13-2, so not bad competition she's faced. And this is just a good debut fight for Chandler because Storyalenko is 10-7-2 as a pro. She won by submission in her last fight to get her first UFC win as she now sits 1-3 in the UFC. So she was on the verge of probably getting dropped, saved her spot in the roster with a win. Stolyarenko almost exclusively relies on submissions to win fights, with 9 submission wins out of her 10 total. We don't know a lot about Chelsea Chandler, but she does have one submission victory on Tapology in her 4 professional wins. I think if Stolyarenko gets on top, she is one of the best in the division on the ground. Surprisingly, though, she has lost several fights lately by being controlled on the ground herself. 
if you offensively wrestle Julisa Stolyarenko and get her on bottom, you can keep her there. She's not as skilled on her back because she also is willing to play the submission game. Nine out of her 10 wins are by submission. She does have a few from her back, so she's willing to stay on the ground and try to find those submissions. When you don't find them, you're losing control time. You're usually losing points on the ground while you're searching for those submissions. Chelsea Chandler is affiliated with a Gracie Jiu-Jitsu school, according to Tapology. That's all I have to say about what I imagine her skill is on the ground. So I'm going to hope that she can hold her own on the ground as well, and Chelsea Chandler can get a win in this one. Maxim Grishin versus Felipe Linz. These guys are similar in size. Grishin won his last fight, but he's 2-2 two two in his last four fights. Linz actually won the 2018 PFL Heavyweight Tournament before coming over to the UFC, and he earned his first UFC win at light heavyweight in his last fight. That unfortunately put him at 1-2, and two, and that was his first win in the UFC. But Grishin is going to be a hard-hitting striker, and Linz is a heavy wrestler. As a former heavyweight, Linz can really wear down fighters with his wrestling. I like Felipe Linz here. Maxim Grishin does not want to go to the ground, and I think that Linz can get it there and grind out a decision victory, maybe find himself a ground-and-pound finish. Felipe Linz needs to enter the takedown cautiously, make sure that he is setting up his takedown attempts with his striking, and then wear down Grishin on the ground to make him tired and get a win. As he gets tired, some of that power that Maxim Grishin carries will start to leave him as well. So look for Felipe Linz to wrestle early, focus mostly on control early with that wrestling, and then maybe look for the finish on ground and pound later on in this fight. We're only going to try this next first name once, then we're going to go by the last name. We have Krasistov Jotko versus Brandon Allen. These guys are similar in size. Jotko is on a two-fight win streak and won five of his last six fights. Brandon Allen is on a two-fight win streak as well and won four of his last five fights. He has a very good submission game at 10-1, but he's also a high-volume striker. The problem that I see for Allen is that he's a very similar style fighter to Gerald Mearshart, whom Jotko beat in his last appearance. Gerald Mearshart also loves to play the submission game and fight on the ground. Jotko just won against that style of opponent in his last fight. Jotko is predominantly a striker and wrestler, but he doesn't have much for jujitsu skill, so he really only does well on the ground when in top position. That way he can wrestle into ground and pound. Only 10 of Jotko's 29 fights have ended by finish, and two of Allen's last five went to a decision. So I think this fight could go the distance here, but I also think that Jotko gets the win here regardless. Next up, we have Joaquin Silva versus Jesse Ronson. Ronson's going to be two inches taller. He has an inch advantage in reach, so nothing substantial. Ronson is 1-3-1 in his last five, while Silva is 2-3 in his last five, but also lost his last two fights by knockout. So, 2-3 in his last five, lost his last two by knockout. Not sounding great there. I would take this fight to not go the distance. 12 of Silva's 15 fights have not gone to a decision and 21 of Ronson's 32 have also ended by finish. These two fighters are mixed martial artists. When I say that, I mean that they're not necessarily specialists in any one area of fighting. So that may make it harder to get a finish, since they're not exceptional in any one area of MMA. They're good at everything, 
but I think that'll ultimately negate each other. The other kicker here with Joaquin Silva is that he hasn't fought since June of 2021. I think this will be a very close matchup in my opinion, closer than what the odds are suggesting, but these guys make mistakes, and because of that I think someone will find a finish. I'm leaning Joaquin Silva to win if I had to pick a winner, but really what I want to do is take a look at fight to not go the distance. Our last female fight of the prelims, we have Jessica Penne versus Tabitha Risi. Penne is 4 inches taller and has a 6 inch reach advantage. Since Penne's return to MMA after a 4 year break, she returned in 2021, she is 2-1 and coming off of a loss. After losing her UFC debut by knockout, Tabitha Risi is on a 2 fight win streak. I think this is a good matchup for both women to be honest. They each struggle a bit with striking and both women use wrestling heavy attacks and work submissions. Penne's 2-2 two two by knockout, 8-1 by submission. Risi is 1-1 one one by knockout and 2-0 and oh by submission, while averaging just under 4 takedowns per fight. I think this fight absolutely goes the distance here, because they will hit the mats. Neither woman, I think, is good enough to find the finish on the feet, so they're both going to try to take the fight to the ground, and when the fight tends to hit the ground, it tends to go a little slower, as fighters are working for positioning and control, and trying to wait for their opponent to make a mistake. So I do think this fight will likely go the distance. I think Penne's length will give her the advantage on the feet, maybe just slightly. But her high-level jiu-jitsu skill will help her survive when she does get taken down. Reese finished five takedowns in each of her last two fights, so she will definitely get a few more here because, like I said, Jessica Penne has been taken down and controlled in the past. I think Tabitha Reese gets the win with ground control and just working on the ground but do expect Jessica Penne to shoot up some submissions to try to capture the win as well ultimately I think this is a spot where both women are going to negate each other and we're going to go to the judges our last prelim fight I love mainly because it's Alexi Olenek we have Ilir Latifi versus Alexi Olenek Olenek is four inches taller and has seven inches in reach advantage super rare because he's not a particularly large heavyweight it's just that Alir Latifi is a fairly small heavyweight Olenek ended his three fight skid with yet another submission victory in his last fight and just honesty time here guys I'm a fan of Alexi Olenek so I may have some biases towards him here keep that in mind as I talk about this guy who is an all-time great fighter and one of the best submission specialists to ever fight in MMA along with the old school greats like the Gracie family 60 professional wins. 60. Most people don't even do 60 pro fights. He's got 60 pro wins, 47 by submission. Unbelievable career for Olenek, and he just keeps going. He's losing weight. He's getting in better shape, seemingly, which is just incredible to think about. Alir Latifi also ended a three-fight losing streak in his last fight, but with a decision victory. He hasn't fought since June 2021. Both of these fighters are jiu-jitsu specialists, so I'm shocked to see that Olenek is getting the underdog spot here. I know he's a much older fighter, but Olenek is one of the most talented jiu-jitsu fighters that the MMA has in MMA, in the UFC, or anywhere you look, and he's at heavyweight. Yeah, he's old. Yeah, he's fought through multiple decades, but there is no better submission fighter in the heavyweight division. Both guys go for takedowns, and Olenek is good from his back or on top. I just think this, at this point in his career, 
this is an ideal matchup for Olenek, and I think he gets it done here because I think he may actually be the sharper striker as well on the feet. His hands have started to look better and better lately. I know, crazy that he's still able to improve his game at this point, but he's gotten better with striking, and now he's got a huge reach advantage. It'll be fun to see what happens. When this fight inevitably hits the mats, it's got to be chaos, but I think Olenek may look decent on the feet in this fight as well. We're going with Alexi Olenek. I love that guy. He just keeps on fighting. I don't know if he will ever retire. But that ends our UFC prelims. Let's take a look at the main card. So the main card is going to start at 7 o'clock Eastern time on Saturday, and it starts us off with Mike Davis versus Vyacheslav Borshchev. Tough name there, but we got through it. Davis is a three and a half inch reach advantage. After losing his UFC debut by submission, he is on a two fight win streak. Davis is nine and two, seven and zero by knockout, and one and one by submission. Borshchev earned a spot on the roster with a knockout win on Dana White's Contender Series, and followed it up with a knockout in his UFC debut and a loss in his last fight. At 6-2, he is 5-0 by knockout and no submission record. While these fighters definitely favor striking, I think Mike Davis should use wrestling in this fight. He usually goes for a few takedowns each fight. He's not really known as a wrestling fighter, but he'll go for a few takedowns. And I don't think he will be at any threat to be submitted on the ground. So if he's using smart fight IQ, I think he needs to go for a few takedowns, and try to wear on the power of the hard-striking Borshchev. As Mike Davis wrestles him more and more, hopefully, hopefully Mike Davis doesn't try to prove he's better on the feet. Hopefully he fights smart, goes for those takedowns, to start taking away that power from Borshchev. Borshchev gave up 11 for 18 takedowns and 12 and a half minutes of control time in his last fight. 12 and a half minutes is awfully close to the full 15. Mike Davis, if you wrestle, you will win. If he fights smart behind his jab, sets up those takedowns, I think he can get it done here without too much difficulty. The problem will come in where some fighters like to prove, oh, this guy's a good striker, I'm better, and they try to stand and bang. Fight smart, Mike Davis, and you will find yourself with a win. John Castaneda versus Daniel Santos follows that. Castaneda has a 4-inch reach advantage. He lost his UFC debut, but is now on a 2-fight win streak with wins by knockout and submission. The big thing with John Castaneda is that he's a true mixed martial artist with 8-1 by knockout and 6-0 by submission. Very comfortable fighting wherever this fight takes place. With Daniel Santos, he lost his UFC debut his last time out. He has never been finished as a pro, but he had one-third as many significant strikes landed as his opponent in his last fight, even though they threw around the same number of strikes. So he output a lot of volume but didn't land that much. That could easily fool judges when you go to a decision. Castaneda, in my opinion, just has too many ways to win this fight. He's a very well-rounded MMA fighter, like I told you, and his UFC debut loss was against the streaking Nathaniel Wood right now, who's put together some very excellent wins. While Castaneda did win by submission in his last fight, he actually got that sub by scoring a knockdown in that fight. He got the knockdown, jumped on top, was going to work ground and pound, but saw the submission and took what was given to him. 
That's why he's such a talented MMA fighter. He's got good fight IQ and he's comfortable with whatever is given to him. He has power on the feet and excellent skill on the ground. The Daniel Santos loss in his last fight was after a two and a half year layoff as well, so he hasn't been in the cage much in the last several years. I think John Castaneda gets this done fairly easily. Next up, we have Sadiq Youssef versus Don Shanus. After having his fight canceled in September, number 12 featherweight Sodiq Youssef is making a very quick turnaround against a honestly much easier opponent. I feel a little bad for Don Shanus here. This is an extremely difficult UFC debut. Now don't get me wrong, Don Shanus is very skilled. He's got a five-fight win streak, four of those ending by knockout. But it's just tough to debut against a guy who's already ranked. Yusef is usually the smaller fighter in fights as well, but he's actually going to be 3 inches taller and has a 4.5 inch reach advantage. Both crucial when you're predominantly a striker like Sadiq Yusef. Don Shanus has, to his advantage, nothing to lose here because he's being fed to a high-level UFC fighter, so expect him to go very hard early in this fight to try to steal a win and try to get that knockout in the first round. I think Sadiq Yusef wins this fight, and maybe we look at taking the over one and a half rounds or another alternate line such as fight to go the distance because I think Yusef will pace himself early and pour it on in the later rounds once Shanus starts to wear down. The UFC must expect a good career from Don Shanus long term for giving him a ranked opponent in his first UFC appearance. But Sadiq Yusef is trying to win dominantly because this fighter is unranked and new to the UFC. He needs a dominant win to earn a fight against someone around 8 through 10 in the rankings. Expect Don Shanus to go hard in round 1, and Yusef will get more dominant as the fight goes on with piling on a lot of strikes. Just a few fights left on the main card here. We have Rioni Barcelos versus Trevin Jones. Jones has a 3-inch reach advantage, and he's on a 2-fight losing streak, and is 1-2-1 in the UFC. Barcelos is also on a two-fight losing streak after winning his previous four UFC fights. Barcelos was very close to winning each of those last two losses. You really need to take a look at them. He had two knockdowns in one of those losses, and he went one for seven for takedowns in the other. Had he landed just a few more takedowns, maybe that fight could have swung in the other direction. Barcelos is a high-volume striker who can mix in wrestling very well, which makes him very effective on the ground, and on the feet. Trevin Jones, he's a similar fighter as far as he will mix in his wrestling and striking, but I just think that he's a little worse than Barcelos in all areas that this fight could take place. I just don't see a lot of potential in Trevin Jones compared to Barcelos. I think Barcelos has more ways to win in this one, and unfortunately for Trevin Jones, I just don't know if he has the staying potential in the UFC. This is a good fight for Rayoni Barcelos to get back on the win column and potentially, unfortunately, send Trevin Jones closer to the exit door. Our co-main event is Randy Brown versus Francisco Trinaldo. This is going to be a great fight. I'm really looking forward to watching this one. I like this fight a lot. Randy Brown's four inches taller, and he's a huge eight-inch reach advantage. He's on a three-fight win streak and has won five of his last six. Trinaldo's on a two-fight win streak and has also won five of his last six. Nine of his last 11 fights for Trinaldo have gone to a decision, and only four of Randy Brown's last 11 have gone to a decision. Randy Brown is skilled both on the feet, but also with jiu-jitsu. I think that is the biggest discrepancy here. 
Randy is 5-1 by submission, and Trinaldo is 5-3. This is a very tough fight for me to predict. I think Randy Brown could be a problem for Trinaldo if he fights smart. Trinaldo's volume striking that we have seen in the past has been down a little bit lately, and Randy Brown needs to use his long-range striking weapons to keep Trinaldo at range, keep him at distance, and score points. And then when Trinaldo rushes in to try to close that distance, he needs to use his jiu-jitsu and takedown ability immediately if this fight hits the ground. I've gone back and forth on this fight, on whether I'll go to the distance or not, but I do ultimately think that this fight goes over one and a half rounds, and we'll keep an eye on other alternate lines. I'm leaning Randy Brown to win, but the odds are just honestly way too wide on this one. So if you like a value pick, Francisco Trinaldo is probably the value pick. I do think Randy Brown will likely win, but more than all of that, I think this fight goes over one and a half rounds. Let's go ahead and take a look at our UFC main event. Man, I am absolutely torn up about this main event. We have Mackenzie Dern versus Yan Nan. Tough, tough fight to predict, guys. I've gone back and forth every few hours on who I think wins this fight. The problem is, the heart's getting involved with this one. <laughs> We've been on the Mackenzie Dern train for a few years now. I think she will be fighting for a championship soon, and she is ranked number five in the strawweight division. These women are similar in size, and Mackenzie Dern won her last bout. She's won five of her last six, and she's one of the most skilled jiu-jitsu fighters in the division. She has no knockout wins or losses, but seven of her 12 wins have been by submission. She's incredibly dangerous if the fight hits the ground. Probably one of the most dangerous female fighters in the UFC on the ground. She has been working on catching up her striking a lot in the last few years, and there has been noticeable improvements in her last few fights. But honestly, hopefully Dern has made huge strides in striking, because Zhao Nan is a very strong kickboxer. Yang Zhao Nan is ranked number 6. She lost her last two fights, but they were against the most elite of the division, including the current champion. It's strength versus weakness in this fight. Dern has a significant ground advantage, just like she does against everybody, and Zhao Nan is, I think, much better on the feet unless Dern has really made some strides. Zhao Nan also may have the wrestling advantage, which is interesting. Dern wants to fight on the ground, but if you look at her last few fights, she doesn't complete a lot of takedowns. Usually the fight ends up on the ground because she gets taken down, and Zhao Nan, I think, will have that offensive wrestling advantage. So Dern may be fighting on her back a few times, and she may have to find a way to get a takedown if she wants to fight on the mats. Because if I'm Zhao Nan, and I'm being a smart fighter, I'm trying to keep this fight on the feet. If I go for a takedown, I'm doing it very late in a round, where Mackenzie Dern does not have enough time to get a submission, and ultimately to cap off the round after you beat her on the feet with your striking. Mackenzie Dern has struggled against elite strikers, and this is just, like I said, a tough one to bet. I think Dern has to get a submission win, and Zhao Nan can win by knockout or scorecards, unless Dern can steal one of the first three rounds, let's say. I think Dern could win the later rounds in this fight due to her cardio. If Dern gets a submission, I think her best chances in the first two rounds are late in the fifth, because 
Yan Zhao Nan has not been in a five-round fight before. Mackenzie Dern has, we know she can go the distance. I think if Zhao Nan gets a knockout, I think it could be a TKO in rounds three through five, because honestly, Mackenzie Dern's a beast, and she's never been knocked out. She can really take a punishment. It's hard to get her out of there. Zhao Nan also only has five knockout wins out of her 13 wins. Like I said, we just haven't seen Zhao Nan go five rounds before, and we've seen Dern go five rounds against an elite striker. She got beat up really bad, don't get me wrong, but Mackenzie Dern's so skilled on the ground, if at any point in five rounds this fight hits the ground, Dern will look to finish this fight. It does not matter if she's lost four rounds in a row from striking, and then in the fifth round, if she gets Zhao Nan on the ground, Dern has a chance to end that fight. She is that skilled with jujitsu. I think the value is on Yan Zhao Nan because this spread is pretty wide. I want to see some alternate lines. I want to believe that Dern will win this fight, but I just don't know if her striking and takedowns have improved enough for this type of matchup. The value play is Zhao Nan, but we're going to definitely take a look at over two and a half rounds or something else creative you should look at as well if you want Dern to have a shot here. I'm going to say that I hope Mackenzie Dern wins, but you need to understand that the value is on Zhao Nan and the fight starts on the feet. Look for Mackenzie Dern to win by submission if you want to lean Mackenzie Dern. I think maybe, maybe she gets a decision, but I think she'll win two out of the first three rounds, so she'll have to steal one late, which is possible because Zhao Nan maybe will fatigue. We don't know. This is something that we're going to learn as this fight happens and unfolds before our eyes. Before our eyes. But that wraps up the UFC card coming up this Saturday. UFC Fight Night Dern versus Zhao Nan. Let's go ahead and take a look at our bets. As always, please bet responsibly. If you have a gambling problem, call your state's hotline. Like I said last, uh, not last week, two weeks ago, we can only get better, everybody. We can only get better. We had the worst gambling weekend in the history of me gambling. <laughs> Terrible weekend. It was saved a little bit with the main card, thankfully, but horrible, horrible, horrible prelims for us last time out. We look to bounce back here, and with those UFC prelims, we have Guido Canetti versus Randy Costa. I like the fight to not go the distance. I think Costa could get the money line win as well, but I want to see the alternate line for fight to not go the distance. Julija Stolyarenko versus Chelsea Chandler. We're going Chelsea Chandler money line minus 105. Maxim Grishin versus Felipe Linz. Going with Felipe Linz money line plus 145. Kristoff Jotko versus Brandon Allen. We went with Jotko money line minus 120. Joaquim Silva versus Jesse Ronson. I like the fight to not go the distance. I would lean Joaquim Silva, but I want to see that fight to not go the distance alternate line. Jessica Penne versus Tabitha Risi. I like fight to go the distance. I'm also leaning Tabitha Risi, but that spread's a little big, so let's see what fight to go the distance looks like. And we end the prelims with Alir Latifi versus Alexi Olenek. Alexi Olenek money line plus 150. That is our first homestyle gravy top bet of the weekend. Looking at the UFC main card, Mike Davis versus Vyacheslav Borshchev. Partially because I don't want to say the name again, we're going Mike Davis, Moneyline, minus 175. John Castaneda versus Daniel Santos. John Castaneda, Moneyline, minus 186. That is a homestyle gravy bet. 
and a going back for more two-unit bet. Sadiq Youssef versus Don Shanus. I like Sadiq Youssef here. I think he wins. He's a massive, like, minus 900 favorite, so we need the alternate lines to help us out. We'll look at over one and a half rounds. We'll look at fight to go the distance. We'll look at a combination of Youssef and over one and a half rounds. Youssef and fight to go the distance. Make sure you tune in Saturday to see what we grab. Rioni Barcelos versus Trevin Jones. I'm just not a fan of what I've seen from Trevin Jones. We're going Rioni Barcelos money line minus 235 as a homestyle gravy bet and a going back for more two-unit bet. Randy Brown versus Francisco Trinaldo. I really like over one and a half rounds, but we don't have that available yet. I am leaning Randy Brown, but let's, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I will take whatever over one and a half rounds is for this fight as a homestyle gravy bet. For our main event, Mackenzie Dern versus Yan Zhao Nan. I had too much trouble picking a winner here. I do think it goes long. So I'm going to take over two and a half rounds, minus 130 for our fifth homestyle gravy bet of the weekend. Now remember everybody, as always, please check out the social medias of the podcast that I'll be mentioning here in just a few minutes on Saturday to see what alternate lines we were able to grab once they became available. The homestyle perfect plate parlay, we've got John Castaneda, Sadiq Youssef, and Rioni Barcelos all to win at plus 144. That covers our bets, our parlays for the weekend. I'm excited for the UFC to be back every time they take a weekend off. I always feel like I have nothing to do on that Saturday. Obviously, that's not true, but man, do I love watching fights, so I'm very glad they're back. It was just recently announced that the PFL Championship fights will be back in December as well, so we'll be counting that down the week before those take place. We will dive into those championship matchups and what is bound to be an incredible night of fights. The PFL has made some huge signings from the UFC lately. They're going to be on that card as well. The December pay-per-view fight for the PFL championship is going to be fantastic. We'll cover that later on. Let's go ahead and wrap up the podcast. I'm not going to lie, I think that matchmaking segment will have to make a return maybe a few times a year because it got me juiced for this episode. As always, please bet responsibly if you have a gambling problem, call your state's hotline. I'll be posting my verdict scorecard predictions prior to the events on social media for the podcast and again those alternate lines that we're waiting on, so please make sure you check out the following pages. At the Homestyle MMA Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube and at Homestyle MMA Pod on Twitter. Check out the Homestyle MMA Podcast dot Podbean, P-O-D-B-E-A-N.com for additional information about the podcast and where you can listen. Spoiler alert, you can listen anywhere you listen to podcasts. Wherever you're listening right now, for example. <laughs> I'll continue to grow content on social media. We're doing a pretty good job. We're getting a few followers on Instagram and Twitter, Facebook a week. We're getting some good interactions as well. Feel free to engage in anything that we post, guys. Send us a message. Whatever you want to do, I'm happy to interact with you. If you disagree with me, go ahead and let me know. That's totally fine. I'd love to hear why you disagree, and we'll see how things play out on Saturday. Next week, we will do a rapid recap from this card and find some fun discussion topics to chat about. There's no UFC fights on October 8th, so I'll bring some items to discuss. Well, it's likely going to be another shorter podcast next week before we dive back into previewing UFC Fight Night Grasso versus Arajo for October 15th, the week after that. 
If you guys have ideas for some topics you'd like for me to discuss, feel free to message us on social media, on any of the platforms I mentioned earlier, just rewind about a minute. I'm not quite sure what we're going to do yet, but I'll obviously find something to talk about for 5 to 10 minutes. Till next time, this was Sean Van Buren on the Homestyle in the Mid podcast. Y'all have a good one.